Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening. So in this episode, we have Liu Liu, who is from one of the correspondents from the A Global Correspondent Program at the Insider, and Liu Liu has been working as a program manager in one of our foundations in China called One Foundation. So nice to have you here, Liu Liu. Hi, hi everyone. Hi. So Lulu, can you briefly introduce your job in One Foundation and especially why you choose to join One Foundation? Sure. So I'm Lulu. It's nice to be back working with the Insider. As、uh, Danyin has just introduced, I worked, I think, two years ago as a global correspondent. It was a very nice experience. So. Since、uh, 2021, I've been working as a program manager in One Foundation in China. It is a uh, private, um, not private, but like a, a non-governmental organization working in the charity sector in China. And、uh, I worked there for two years. I just recently moved to another position, but I really, I really like what I did in One Foundation, and I have learned a lot and grown a lot in that position. And the reason why I chose to Join that team was first of all I graduated with a master degree in public policy in the United States, but I didn't work in the public sector. I worked in the private sector for a few years, and then I moved back to China in 2020, I think October, because of、uh, COVID.、Uh, it affected a lot of my job and my personal plans. And I, when I moved back to China, I thought、uh, even though I know that the nonprofit sector or the public sector in China is not a very Mature sector, and it is very、uh, low paid compared to my previous jobs. But at that status in my life, I think I really wanted to try to work in the public sector, at least when I'm still、uh, young and bald, I guess. So when I moved back, I thought I really wanted to find a job in this sector. And One Foundation is one of the earliest foundations that do this kind of projects in China, and also it is a pretty well known one. And、uh, it had affected me, I think, many many years ago when I did. Not know much about charity or、uh, the public sector. So when I saw they have a vacancy, I applied for the job, and it was a nice experience after all. Thanks, Lulu. So this is indeed a very bold decision to join, as you said,、yes. <laughs> a low-paid job in the charity. So one personal question is that: How did you persuade your parents or your families into? Because、um, this is not a popular sector and not a popular、yeah. job. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it is a very、um, a lot of people. I, I think a lot of my family members still don't understand what I was doing or what I am doing now. But regarding my parents, they are pretty open-minded. And when I went to the U.S. and I studied for the public policy or public administration, they knew I was going to work for some kind of job in the public sector, maybe in international organization or maybe in the government. Actually, as、um, I, I guess a lot of Listeners' understanding of an MPP or MPA degree—it's a lot of people would go work for the government, but it's quite different to work for the government in China because you have to be a civil servant, and you know it's a lot of、um, sophisticated process to like apply for the job, and you have to be in the system, and it's hard to get out. It's like very complicated, and I never felt like I wanted to work for the government, but I wanted to work for the public sector. So I think when I went to the US, I started to educate them about my. Idea、uh, of my career choices, and、uh, they have some understanding after a few years of me explaining to them. But then after I graduated, and I didn't immediately.
immediately went to this sector. I worked for the private sector. So I have some saving, not a lot. And I was not depending on them financially a few years after my job. And I told them, you know, I have some savings, even though this is going to be a quite low paid job, it's it's enough. It's enough to live uh, in a city. And I think I have the confidence that if one day I need to make more money, I can find a job that pays more. Uh, so just let me try at least for a few years. Uh, and they are pretty open-minded. They are always um, very supportive in my choices all the way of my growing up. So it was not a very hard thing to persuade them. It's glad that they are so open-minded and yeah. that they can uh, support you. As yeah, you I'm very yeah. lucky. Thank you, Lulu, for sharing how you persuade your parents into accepting that you are going to launch a career in the nonprofit sector in China. It is a very tough choice for others, but you took the courage and have won your parents' support in this process. So can you share with us some of your experiences at One Foundation? What are the projects that you have been engaging in? And is there any projects that make you feel a sense of accomplishment in the process? Uh, sure. So for the whole two years working there, I've been the uh, project manager of a particular project called the Children's Care Station. And what we mainly do is to build a kind of a community space or what we call a station for the left behind children in rural areas or small towns in China. And uh, left behind children as a concept means that the kids of domestic migrant workers in China, because in uh, China over the past 40 years of uh, the reform and opening up policy, as a lot of people know, uh, has made a lot of like undereducated or even high educated people from smaller towns or rural areas to have to leave their hometown and work in bigger cities or coastal areas. So a lot of people, they have to be far away from their hometown, but they cannot raise their kids in the bigger city because of many different reasons. One is the registration system system that we call hukou system. So they can't have their kids join the public education system in the places that they live and work. And also there's the economic reason that it's very expensive to raise a kid in bigger cities. So a lot of parents would choose to have kids, but to leave their kids behind in their hometown. So hundreds of thousands of kids in China are actually raised by their grandparents or even maybe their uncles and aunts. So they growing up without their parents and it's a big population in China, and it's a huge social problem. So we are uh, working on a project that works for them. We want them to have a public space in their community uh, that they can play, they can learn, and they can social with each other. So that's the project that we do. I think the project itself has a history of about six to seven years. I worked for two years for the project, and uh, that particular program brings me a lot of sense of accomplishment. I'm very proud of the project. I like it a lot. I know a lot of there are a lot of problems in the project, but Every time I visit a station or every time I saw like a story from the station, from the kids or from the teachers, it makes me feel a strong sense of uh, value, I have to say. Yeah. So in UNICEF, one of the recently uh, published reports, they said that actually these children in some poverty-stricken areas, they only have 16% of the public educational resources. So how about the situation in China? What are some of the resources that they have been getting access to and how is one foundation working with different sectors like the governments or the public to provide more equitable resources for these children? Yes, I think I don't know the exact data that, that, that you just said about the public education resource, because in China, 
I wouldn't say they don't have enough access to public education because statistically, we have nine-year compulsory education for every kid. And there are public schools in villages, in towns uh, that covers all these children and it, and it is free. But you can't have higher expectation on their quality. That's the first problem. But that is a universal problem, I think, in every country that you have um, unequal spread of education resources. But as for public education, it's not the main problem. The main problem is really more in the social resources or when you're growing up without your parent around you, there are psychological problems. There are loneliness. There are, you know, growing up, you don't have an adult to tell you things outside of school, the family education, the community education. That's the sector that they lack. And that's the thing that we're working on. And uh, because there are very tragic news happened in China, specifically among the left behind children population, like there are kids that committed suicide together like five or six of them together in small villages. And several of these news happening, I think in 2013 something, and uh, raised a lot of attention in China. And then the Chinese government actually paid a lot of attention in this specific population. So there are a lot of policies in 2014, 2015, a lot of top-down policies demanding the local governments to do things, to care for these children, to find out how many children, like how many left-behind children children's are there in your town, in your village and you have to give them care, give them enough care. But the local government, they already burden a lot of responsibilities on them economically, socially, and politically. And so they really don't have that much energy or maybe financial resources to do this. So they have the profile of these kids and they have some kind of people giving them care, but it mainly lies in the material sector, like gave to give them money or to held uh, some activity together every season or every year, or they have spaces for them to to read or play, but no one is running the space. So there's a lot of waste of resources. So there's government policy to do this, but there's not enough energy or people for the local government to actually execute these policies or these programs. So that's where the social sector or the nonprofit organizations came in. So that's where we cooperate with the government. So when we are building the station, it is a this pretty welcomed by the local governments because they, they they actually have this goal uh, that they ha- that they want to fulfill to care for the left behind children. So the spaces that we have, all the stations, we built about 500, 600 stations like this all over China in 20 something provinces every year. And all these stations are free. It is all public space provided by the local governments because they have public space like this. They just don't have people to run it. So all like the, I, I think 70 or 80% of our budget in this project is to pay the person to run it. So the main budget goes to the local organization hiring a person to run this space, to uh, open the space every day, to to tell the kids or the parents in the local area and they advertise it in schools or they just go to family visits and they tell them, so we have this kind of space in this place and uh, you're welcome to come every day. We're there for you every day, especially during uh, holidays or after school. So we are actually very closely collaborating with the government. So when the manpower of one foundation comes to the station, what are some of the activities that you will run for these children? So I want to clarify one thing is that as a foundation, we fund local grassroots NGOs to actually execute projects. Like we don't run the 600 projects directly. We fund them to do this. And uh, so my team, what I do is the top-down program design 
and then to train the local NGOs to choose local NGOs that can undertake the program to give them the funds and to give them the tools to run all the stations and to do the monitor and evaluation. And then I think what you're asking is what exactly does the stations do? So each of the stations, they have to have one full-time employee to run the station, as I mentioned. And the person uh, preferably is a social worker, but there's not enough social worker that are willing to, you know, work in a very grassroots environment. So maybe some of them are social workers, but uh, we provide them with a very comprehensive uh, standard operation handbook, and they have to open the station at least five days a week, at least um, 220 days a year, I think, and to run the station to have at least 50 children registered and uh, around their area. And when they apply for the job, they need to prove that the station is in an area where there are a lot of left behind children. And you cannot label the children as if only left behind children can come. So you can do that. All the children in the community are welcome, that you can hang out with each other and with the teacher. But then if you are in an area where there are are a lot of left behind children, then you are in like a target area that we want to serve. So actually, the bottom line is to open the space to have enough kids, because we also have, I think we spent 10,000 yuan for each station to buy toys and desks and books and, you know, hardware like this, so that as long as children came, they can find stuff to do. They finish their homework there, they play chess with each other, all this kind of stuff. That's the bottom line, that if you do that, that's already, you know, qualified to the minimum standard. And then we provide them with group activities that you have to at least hold once a week or four times a month, which are more targeting, I think, social resources that we think the left behind children lack. Like we gave them some kind of activities to boost their confidence or to have more diversified education resources other than just the exams at school. It, and it, it can be very free as long as each uh, local NGO can have their own choices based on their research or their understanding of the children's needs. Some of them teach speaking classes classes, singing, dancing, or some kind of community activities, it's, it's pretty flexible. So that's uh, the bottom line. And we don't have very specific courses that you have to do. The most important thing is a full-time employee who knows all the children and they can build a lasting and close relationship with these kids. And the kids, because they don't have, you know, parents around them, the teacher or the station can be the safe person to go to, can be the safe place to go to. This is the adult that they can trust when they have things that they want to talk to, when they have things that they don't understand, they have a person or a place to go to. That's the, actually the most important thing that we value. I wonder what are some of the challenges that you have faced in this process? Is it not enough funding or lack of social resources or other things that you think has uh, presented some obstacles to your work in One Foundation or uh, the work in uh, Left Behind Children? Uh, so speaking of challenges, there are a lot of challenges. I don't even know where to start, but I think I can summarize it in, into maybe several main sectors. So first of for the project itself because it is a quite complicated program actually because it doesn't have a very clear quantitative result that you can evaluate. It's not like I want to raise their score or I want to increase their income. It's not like that. It is a rather complicated, we want them to be more confident. We want them to be more resilient to psychological problems. We want them to, you know, be happier in general. So it is very hard to evaluate. And also 
also for like rural areas or poverty stricken areas, the teachers、uh, or the caregivers in the stations they sometimes do not fully understand what we want to give these kids. We want them to have enough company. We want them to trust this place and the teacher. We want the teacher to give them enough care. But for them, they still think the most important thing is is school, is exams, is scores. So a lot of them, I would say, spend a lot of energy trying to help them do better at school. So they spend a lot of time helping them with the homework or with the activities that I just mentioned. We want them to be more diversified. But a lot of the stations they would have volunteers as school teachers. They would invite a lot of school teachers to be volunteers to teach the kids math or English or you know other school subjects in the station because they still think if if they can help them have better score, it is the most important thing. So it's a lot of、um, gap between their understanding and our goals. And also sometimes our goals are quite ideal. Like we think we want the kids to be happy, but we can be responsible for their whole life. It is honestly important for them to have better you know scores at school. It's probably more important for them in life in general. So you really can't argue with the teachers about this. All we can do is to say that at least why we designed a project like this. At least our goal is to provide them enough. Company, we are not going to evaluate these other things. We want to evaluate if you have built enough connection with the kids. If you know these kids are well enough, you know if if these kids like the station, if they are willing to come. How often do they actually come? We only evaluate this. We only monitor these things. So that is a ongoing, constantly you know occurring problem for the project itself. And then the second big sector is like you mentioned in fundraising. One foundation. We have a policy of、uh, we call it collective fundraising effort,、uh, which is we do not fund the organizations a hundred percent. We only fund them about half of the money, and they have to raise the other half by themselves because the whole nonprofit sector is a very new, very young emerging sector in China. So a lot of these organizations are very new. Some of them have only like two, three years of history, and it is also an important mission for. Foundation to empower them. We do not want them to only be our project undertakers. We want them to eventually be able to independently do projects or even design projects by themselves. So the fundraising effort is designed to also almost like force them to understand how to raise money by themselves. And so because of that, a lot of the local NGOs are not able to do the project very long because the project is、uh, renewed every year. So every one year we recruit new. Organizations to do this, so some of them only run the station for a year, and then the next year they don't have money to do it. So that's also very—it's very, very sad to see a lot of them have to stop because the kids really enjoy going there sometimes.、Uh, and then some of the organizations they have strong ability to raise money, but they not necessarily doing the project that well compared to some others. So that is also a problem. Uh, fundraising uh, or funding is always a problem for grassroots nonprofit organizations. I think that's the second. Big problem, and then third one also funding、uh, for one foundation. We also we don't have a big endowment or something like that. We also have to raise money ourselves. Like our fifty percent of the money, we also have to work very hard to raise that. And、uh, even though I've only worked for the project. Uh, for two years, the amount of money we raise is、uh, differ a lot in these two years, and the volume in the second year is actually a lot smaller than the first year. So when we do not have enough funding, the total amount of station that we can open all across 
China is going to be much smaller. So that is always a challenge. I think universal to all nonprofit organizations. So about the first challenge, I wonder what are some of the evaluation framework that you have developed to test that these projects are really beneficial to these left behind children. Because as you mentioned, that some indicators that you have developed like care company connection, but this is very hard to quantify, right? So when you monitor and evaluate the project, what are some of the specific indicators that you look for in doing the project? Yeah. So as I mentioned, we have many minimum requirements for the station themselves. Let me put it this way. So every year we have basic evaluation for all the projects, deciding whether you can join the recruitment next year. And the indicators are very simple. The number of children registered and the total number of children or people time every year. So 50 children have to be registered and then 5,000 people time that have to join, you know, your activities all through the year. And you have to open the station for at least 220 days. And then you have to uh, fulfill our financial uh, structure, uh, how many, you know, money you spend on activity and uh, the money you spend on on the full-time employee's salary. And then we have uh, provincial NGOs that are uh, bigger than, you know, the rest of the NGOs in the province. So we have uh, 20-something provincial project managers that are also not part of one foundation. They are also our partners. They're also local NGOs, just bigger ones. They have to pay two field visits to each station, at least two two field visits every year uh, to monitor and evaluate the the program uh, to like actually see how well the station is doing. So it's actually a very simple requirement from our perspective, but still some of the stations there, they cannot meet the requirement. That is the basic evaluation we do every year just to evaluate the project itself. And as for impact evaluation, we do in one foundation, each program do like a more comprehensive impact evaluation every three years. And uh, our project, I think we did one in 2020 or something just before I joined the team. And so when I joined the team, I saw the report coming out. And uh, for that evaluation, it's more trying to evaluate whether our design, whether our intervention works. So for that evaluation, we have have a monitor and evaluation team and we would hire an external team. It's usually either a evaluation company or a evaluation team from universities. They have more comprehensive indicator. And uh, also it's it's like you said, it's not very easy to quantify these things. So they would compare children that go to the station and not go to the station, compare their psychological well-being, compare their sense of confidence, compare their uh, social behavior. And like, I think they do questionnaire asking them, uh, how much do you like to go to the station? If you make uh, friends in the station, how would you you know, recommend your friend to go to the station? How often do you go to the station? And things like that. And they also evaluate whether our project has helped the local organization grow. Uh, they also have like uh, indicators to see whether our project has empowered them in fundraising, has helped them to have better government uh, relation locally, stuff like that. So the more comprehensive indicator we do every three years, and those are the main indicators that we use. 
Thank you for the clarification, Liu So let's move to the fundraising part because you said that there are two major obstacles for fundraising. One is for the station, the grassroots organization, and also the fundraising for the One Foundation itself. So I wonder what are some of the sources for grassroots organization to raise funds for their survival or for their development? Uh, For the grassroots organizations, I have to say, you know, the main ways are very basic. (laughs) So like, honestly speaking, I think a lot of them just donate themselves. The founder or the founding committee of the organization, they themselves, they have other jobs or they have other business and they have this sense of, they have this willingness to help people. And that's why they found the organization. So a lot of them, actually, the money came from themselves, their family member, their own business business and stuff like that. And uh, some of them do some kind of uh, charity, like uh, small events where they sell stuff that are made by their organization or maybe created by the kids, by their beneficiaries. Some of them do that. Some of them also raise money from local businesses and then give them, you know, marketing, uh, give them exposure. And some of them also have government funding, a pretty small scale, but there are government funding available for local grassroots organizations. And uh, the way that they fundraise for my project, specifically speaking for the Children's Care Station, is that every year there's a big donation festival on Tencent, uh, a Chinese internet platform called the 9-9 Giving Day. It's every September 9th. And uh, because on that day, if you donate a certain amount, the platform, Tencent, will give you several percentage to raise on your donation. So you have kind of enlarges your donation. So on that day, we would organize all our organizations to run their own fundraising activity during the Giving Day Festival. But the real source of their donation, as far as I know, uh, still mainly comes from their own small personal circle. So they call for their family member themselves or people around their company to donate in the Tencent platform. Ideally, the platform and also us uh, as foundations, we want to see them, you know, have more innovative way or more diversified resources where they really reach to the public. You know, people in their town, people in their village, in their community, people who do not have any connection with them personally or people who have not heard of the projects before. It is actually the ideal result is that they reach out to these people and explain them about a project and, and persuade people to donate but actually that's uh, that's very rare but there are very good examples and practices that we are seeing because the Tencent platform and also foundations like one foundation we give them a lot of tools and trainings and you know seminars to inform them that you can do it you can reach to the public you don't have to you know pay it by yourself we inform them you know years and years and then there are organizations that are very very grassroots but they do a very good uh, local fundraising I I think there's a, a town called Sishui in Shandong province and uh, their organization mobilized almost, I think, hundreds of small business in their town that are small supermarkets, small grain stores, liquor stores, grocery stores. They mobilized uh, the small business community and they don't only do the fundraising 
in September over the few days. They do it all year round. And when you go to the store, they would persuade you to like donate a bit every time you pay for something. You know, they have been trying to do it for a few years. Maybe at, at first it's a very small amount, but gradually it brings this habit out of people and more and more people are persuaded and joined the activity and, uh, you know, small amounts uh, collected. And then actually, I think maybe they're still paying by themselves, but the amount that they are paying by themselves is becoming smaller and smaller every year. So the pressure for them to do fundraising is, is much uh, smaller compared to a lot of other organizations. Yeah, but I think the education that we need to do and the tools that we need to bring to these organizations uh, to do, you know, real fundraising uh, instead of just using your own money, the education that we need to do is still a lot, a lot, a lot. So actually, this is pioneering compared yeah. with other like, uh, grassroots NGO in China. So in terms of uh, educating people, what are your strategies to engage more people and to spread the awareness of donation? Because this is not a habit of many Chinese, right? And when they have yeah. money, they tend to save instead of get it away. Yeah, yeah. Well, I think to educate the public about that, it's one of the most important mission for one foundation for, for my organization. The projects are only, you can even say the projects are a means toward that goal. Because our slogan has always been, you know, one person, one yuan, one day. And then, you know, each person do a small amount and then collectively we can do a lot. It's not about one person doing a lot. It's about a lot of people doing, you know, small things. That is, has been our mission since the very beginning. So in all the projects, we, you know, try to educate all the local NGOs and then hope that they can bear that in mind when they're doing their projects and also in doing their fundraising. It is very hard. I would say Chinese people don't have the, the habit, the history or the culture of donating because we don't have a lot of sense of public, you know, very, very fundamentally. We are a culture based on family, big families. We are a culture based on, you know, you people minding their own big families business, but not across families, or we don't have a strong sense of community or a public life. So I think it's, uh, it's going to be hard to change that. But Chinese people, of course, have the history of giving, of willingness to help each other. And uh, when people see other people suffer, they're always willing to donate. Like, when we have, you know, earthquakes or natural disasters, people donate a lot. So the thing is to better explain the projects that we do to bring the sense of urgency or to make people understand that, okay, not only natural disasters or urgency, not only them, not only those circumstances uh, needs your help. The, you know, the ongoing, the daily projects like this also needs your donate. And these projects actually have, you know, bigger impacts, they are actually more cost effective, your donation actually can bring bigger impact. So I think it's almost like in advertising, you have to know how to tell better stories, you have to, to bring the goodness out of people. So that's, I think, the an important thing that we are doing that we're trying to do, but it's a very hard thing to do. So like in terms of cooperating with the local government or the corporates or the fundraising for one foundation, how have you navigated between different stakeholders to secure more fundings for one foundation itself and for the projects as well? 
So for government funding, as I mentioned, the Chinese government actually has policies supporting the care for left behind children. But, you know, with the top policy, it's uh, in the execution level, it differs a lot in each local government. So we encourage the local NGOs to, first of all, build a relationship with the local governments. Each organization has their managing departments, mainly the Minister of Civil uh, Civil Affairs, and uh, just, you know, know the people there, know the officials there, and build a relationship with them, join their meetings, and uh, report to them constantly about what you're doing, and then understand their strategy, understand their goal, understand their budget every year. And uh, a lot of the times, the government actually, they need the help from businesses or the social, you know, the civil society. If you do project that meets their need, sometimes they have funding to do that. So we have several successful cases in my project in several different provinces, not provinces, in, in several different cities, because it is a very local level thing. You have to know the right person and you have to know their annual budget. And uh, there are several cities that have like long-term agreements with local government that the government will have several, I think like some of them are like 50,000 or 60,000 RMB each year to fund their projects because the government has the budget for children's care, but they can spend it in your project or they can spend it in maybe like public school or other kind of uh, children welfare related projects. And so if you can prove to the government or persuade the government that our project, you know, fits your goal, that we are a good project that has good results and impacts, and we have publicity and credibility, blah, blah, blah. You can persuade the government to give you money. But the situation differs a lot, I think, when it comes to working with the government. I think it's the same in other countries. You have to know the right person sometimes. So there is no standard way to do it, but uh, uh, we have these successful cases and we ask these um, founders of these uh, NGOs to share their experience with the rest of uh, our community, with other NGOs. Because I think in China, the relationship between the government and uh, any other sector with, uh, with the business sector or NGOs like us, it's not a very transparent one sometimes. And a lot of NGOs, they, they are not very active in building this kind of relationship. And uh, they believe that you have to, you know, have personal relationship or stuff like that. But actually, sometimes it's, it's not all like that you can find opportunities or you know just find the right angle to build a relationship with the local government but um uh, yeah it's not a big amount of money from government funding but there are people who are doing it and they're doing it well yeah so i think it requires a lot of wisdom yes yes soft <laughs> wisdom <laughs> yes soft wisdom and uh, maybe street smartness yes exactly yeah. and and um, some of the founders they actually they do know the government personally so you know the experience it's not replicable sometimes but there are at least like they're very active they report a lot you know they go to meet them have dinners with them constantly that always helps <laughs> so <laughs> in the guanxi the relationship yes yes yeah so we can put the projects at one foundation and also the one foundation in to a broader perspective about the NGOs in China. So after two years working at One Foundation and have cooperated with a lot of grassroots organizations, so what do you think that the status quo of these NGOs in China, what are some of the characteristics of the Chinese NGOs? Because you have also worked in some NGOs in other countries. So mm -hmm. uh, what would you say that how the China's NGO differ from other countries? 
Mm-hmm. Sure. So when you are operating an organization in a certain, you know, country, you have to obey the the local laws and rules and also the political environment. And uh, it is well known that the Chinese government is a rather powerful government. So a lot of social problems, a lot of what in other countries might consider, you know, the non-governmental areas is actually covered by the government in China. Because the Chinese government is, uh, their style is a pretty strong one. And they're willing to, you know, care like into very details. So the space for nonprofit sector is a rather small one compared to other big economies like the US or countries in Europe. And also we don't have, like I mentioned, we don't have a strong history or culture of uh, a public life. So the space is quite small. But, you know, in this new area of uh, globalization and also with the years of development, the government cannot uh, care for everything, even though they want to. So there is always space for the social sector uh, to do stuff. So the Chinese NGO sector actually have a rather fast growing period in the first 10 or something years in this century. Like from, I think maybe 2005 to 2015, I don't, I don't know the exact figure, but in like the very beginning of our century, the Chinese government has tried to open up a lot of space or give a lot of freedom to NGO, for NGOs to grow. A lot of international organizations came in, a lot of international NGOs came in, and uh, a lot of local NGOs in like in the Western area and in the Southern coastal area, a lot of pilot projects grew at that uh, period. And then in 2016, we have the new charity law in China because before it was like more like a, a rough growing sector. People are trying this. Uh, some, some things we can do, some things we can't. Everything is in like a trial and error period. And then in 2016, we have the law that has a, a more comprehensive but more clear rules about what you can do, what you cannot do. For example, a lot of NGOs, uh, depending on international funding, are facing harder situations. Uh, you, you face much more strict rules when you're getting international funding overseas. So it's like push them to have to raise money locally or some of them have to shut down. So the environment changed a lot after 2016. And because I think there are NGOs that are doing things that are are quite sensitive to the government and also maybe are exposing some of the, you know, poverty stricken or other like social problems too severely. So like the for propaganda perspective, the government are not willing to give too much liberty on this. And so a lot of reasons like this has made the NGO space in China, I think, since 2016, that's what people in the sector talk about. Like, you can feel that the space is narrower and narrower. And then the characteristic of NGOs in China is, I think the difference is you always have to have a wisdom of following the policy direction. And uh, you can say that's, of course, not as free or, you know, the level of liberty compared to NGOs in the Western countries, it is much smaller. But the policy direction is also something that we should care about. It's just you're not part of the decision-making process. You cannot decide your priority sometimes. So for an organization, if you want to work on LGBTQ issue, if you want to work on, you know, areas that the government do not prioritize, it's going to be hard for you. But like in the previous years, the government are focusing a lot on, you know, poverty alleviation. And then in the recent years, maybe in rural development, those are also important areas. And you can also 
have your creativeness, have your, uh, you know, find your innovative approach in tackling with, you know, social problems in that sector. So yeah, it's not that free, but, uh, you know, because there are just too much social problems out there. So if you're willing to, you know, to understand the policy more and then to follow the policy direction, there are still a lot of things that you can do. Yeah, so there is some great area in this sector and uh, you can create some space to grow actually in this industry, right? Yes. So I wonder, are the interaction between China's NGO, do they have a close relationship or interactions with the NGOs internationally? Because as you mentioned that some NGOs from China actually secure their funding from the foreign foundations or like companies. Yeah. Or would they draw any experience from the their counterparts in the international arena? Yeah, I, I wouldn't say there are a lot. But as I mentioned uh, at the beginning of the century, all the theories, all the, you know, the ways of doing projects, the, you know, the, the theory of reform, how do you design a project? How do you find a demand? How do you manage a nonprofit organization? The whole concept is, you know, imported. And uh, the local NGOs are in, in China are mainly raised or how do I put it? Like at the beginning, the major sector is filled with international organizations. And then they empowered the local person who are interested in this sector to start the local NGOs. So at the beginning, everything, uh, I wouldn't say everything, but at the beginning, mostly we are interacting with the international community. Probably the main funding are from overseas. At that time, it was fine. But then very, very very quickly, it only lasted for maybe a decade, things changed a lot. So currently, there are still international organizations working in China, there are still organizations that are getting funded by overseas foundations, but uh, it's a much, much smaller scale compared to uh, organizations that are only do working locally, that are not interaction a lot globally, getting funded from only in internally. And also because over the decades, like, like the Tencent platform Giving Day or the other internet fundraising platforms, they uh, also appeared uh, over the, the 10 years. So there are a lot more donation money in inside China. So you don't have to uh, depend on international funding anymore. And so I think the landscape changed a lot, but there are still a lot of communication between uh, the Chinese uh, NGOs and overseas ones, but I think not as much as maybe 10 years ago. Yeah. Yeah. So about the NGO, what do you think that the China's NGO can learn the practices in the countries? As you mentioned that the non-governmental sector is quite new in China and yeah. um, it's more like that they are trying to find a way to grow. But how can these NGOs can develop in a more systematic way? Can they learn any practices in other countries and to what extent can these lessons be applied in China? Yeah. I think, well, a lot of experiences are not replicable uh, here in China. Like, you know, the most probably successful NGOs in the, let's say the Western countries, their way of doing things, like they do a lot of campaigning, you go to the streets, you organize people, you cannot really do that in China. 
uh, at that scale or at all. So the political environment, the culture is very different. So like, you know, a lot of experiences are, you cannot really apply that. You can understand it, learn it and know the spirit, but you, you we can only see it as, you know, a way of interacting with uh, the government or uh, a way of in, engaging in political decision-making process. Like in each political environment, you have to find your way. You have, have to find your most effective way. Uh, so not all these are applicable, but I think because it is a very, very young sector, the professionalism, the expertise that we see in these Chinese organizations, there's a long way to go in this sector because a lot of them, like I mentioned, they are people from other sectors. They don't really have the expertise or they don't think you need expertise in doing this. They think you only have to have, you know, the willingness to do good, to do good things, to help people. But it's not like that. You have to have, you know, project management people. You have to know, understand design demand analysis or M&E, you know, monitoring and evaluation and stuff like this. So the very technical side, I think, is something that we really urgently need because it is uh, already low pay. You can't really, you know, attract a lot of highly educated talents in your sector. But then within, you need to know that these are the things that you need to pick up. So pay more attention or mobilize more resources, spend more energy on, you know, make your employees or the people working in this sector more professional, or at least, you know, value the professionalism or expertise in this sector. Yeah, thank you. So this is uh, the end of our episode. And thank you so much for Liu Liu joining us and have a good night. Okay, thank you.